turbulent times call for clear-headed insight. That's hard to come by these days, especially on TV. That's where we come in. Salem News Channel has the greatest collection of conservative minds all in one place. People you know and trust, like Dennis Prager, Eric Metaxas, Charlie Kirk, and more. Unfiltered, unapologetic truth. Find what you're searching for at snc.tv and on Local Now Channel 525. Welcome to Let Us Reason, a Christian-Muslim dialogue with host Al Fadi. Let Us Reason is a unique show utilizing theology, apologetics, and evangelism to reach Muslims for Christ by comparing and contrasting Christian and Muslim doctrines. And now, your host, Al Fadi. We named this series in honor of this book, Reading the Quran by Stephen Shoemaker. Today we're going to address the issue of fear. In other words, why is there fear uh, by scholars, I should say, um, in terms of confronting the standard Islamic narrative? Dr. J, welcome back as always. And I think you and I alluded to this fear in the past. Why do you think there is this fear of confronting the standard Islamic narrative, even from an academic, benign academic approach? Well, uh, there, there are many reasons for it. Uh, I think if we're going to get into that. I think, Bulby, we need to uh, first start with what Shoemaker is saying. Again, we want to make sure that we keep on tack with Shoemaker. And Shoemaker quotes this, and he b- brings this up as a real problem. He says this on page two of his book. Modern scholarship on the Quran, with some notable exceptions, has been largely governed by traditional Islamic views on the Quran. Traditional are what we know the standard Islamic narrative. That's the Hadith, that's the Tafsir, that's the Tahrik, and the Sirah, those four genre. Uh, It has been geared and pushed and formulated by al-Buhari and others. That's what all modern scholarship has just used that verbatim. They've never questioned it. He goes on and says, The historical critical study of its texts remain under the powerful influence of the Islamic tradition's gravitational pull, at times without even fully realizing it. So what he's saying is, listen, many of the scholars don't even know they're doing it. They don't even understand. They have no idea that they're not applying what was done to the Bible and other books, but mainly the Bible, those same categories, the same criticisms, textual criticism and, and, and others, that which is applied has been since the 1800s, since the German school in Tübingen started doing it, Wellhausen and others, which was, which was needed at that time. That has not been done today. That's all he's saying. Now, what his solution is, and he goes, and let me just quote again on that same page. He says, we must not study the origins of the Quran according to the convictions of the later Islamic tradition. And I like later. Okay, he puts that in there purposely because yeah. you saw the timeline from the last episode. It is two to three hundred years later. Right. And he says, but instead, we must use the standard tools of historical criticism that scholars have long applied to the study of other sacred scripture writings. Now, like the, really, Bible. the only other one has been the Bible. Really, there's been nothing done on the Upanishads or the Vedas or the uh, uh, Bhagavad Gita. There's nothing, but the Book of Mormon, uh, all these other scriptures, no one has had this test done to it except the Bible. He, I don't know why he didn't say the Bible there. He's saying other writers, because there may be some minor studies that have been done on yeah. them. So that's why he's saying this needs to be done to the Quran. 
Yeah, and, and, and if you remember, Jay, at some point he would say it's almost like any Islam, uh, I should say, in, in any uh, religious studies program, you, you find like two tracks, one focus on Islamic studies and one focus on everything else. It's almost like instead of doing the same thing, there is always this bias or this fear, and you do something different when it comes to Islam versus other religions. And what has happened is... Unlike any other area of study, you start any, any scientific area, any study of humanities, any study on even religious texts. There's never been there has never been a kickback uh, by anybody from within that tradition against what they're saying. In fact, most people say if you find something new, for heaven's sakes, publish it, and they get peer reviewed. And when you get peer reviewed. It's actually great critical. It's a great critical exercise. That's why you want to be peer reviewed because you want to make sure that what you're saying can stand up to criticism. And nobody has bothered that except when it comes to Islam. When it comes to Islam, no one, no one wants to be peer reviewed. Why? Well, here's the problem. Let's just go and see what he quotes. This is on uh, page two and three. Many contemporary Muslims object to non-Muslims taking their sacred text and subjecting it to independent critical analysis based in another intellectual tradition that is markedly different from their own faith perspective. Already, can you see a problem there? So it's the Muslims who have objected to anybody applying a critical analysis on it. And when they object, suddenly people uh, uh, recoil. Why do they recoil? Well, it's why? he continues you know? on. Yeah. It strikes the Muslims as offensive, perhaps understandably, that an outsider would come along and tell them what their sacred text really is and how it should be understood. No one is saying what it should, how it should be understood. No one's doing that with the critical. See, even that statement is, is erroneous. Muslims don't understand. We're not telling them what, how they're to believe or how they're to act or how they're to practice the religion. No one's saying that. All we're asking is, is it true? Asking critical questions. Uh, don't Muslims ask critical questions of the Bible all the time? Okay. Why is that acceptable? Absolutely. See, we don't give death threats. And interestingly, Shoemaker doesn't say that. That even, he can't even say that. And I said, well, Shoemaker, say exactly what you mean. Look at the Taslima Nasrins of the world, or the, or the Salman Rushdies of the world, or the, uh, 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 Taha Hussein. Look at what happened to these guys from within the Islamic tradition. They're Muslims themselves. Look and see what they, has happened to them when they've been critical of the Quran. They've lost their lives, or they've been attempted. Look at Salman Rushdie a few weeks ago. He almost got killed for some, uh, a book that he wrote in 1988. This is 2022, and he almost got killed a few weeks ago. This is the problem that all, uh, all academics have. They don't want to end up like Salman Rushdie. They don't want to end up like Taha Hussein or Taslima Nasreen. I mean, the word, or Ghanouchi. I mean, there's so many names you could add to that, or any of us. Who you and me, in fact, look at the death threats we get just by asking simple historical questions of Muhammad and the Quran and Mecca. Look at all the death threats. Look at the comments we get on our our, our, our YouTube channels. No one in academia wants that kind of grief or that kind of hassle, especially when you realize that much of your funding comes from the very uh, the very people that you're criticizing, because much of the funding for a lot of our institutions here in the West, including the United States and in Europe, comes from uh, petrodollars coming from the Middle East. For and the Islamic studies centers and uh, programs, is that what you're Exactly, that's what yeah. I meant. Yeah. The Islamic studies, the, uh, the uh, Middle Eastern studies are almost all funded by 
Middle Easterns by Middle Eastern countries. So you cannot, interestingly, this is the only area of study, and we've said this many times, where what you find you cannot say publicly for fear of what will happen to your your research, what will happen to your like a salary and what would happen to your life? You could be vilified uh, as well, and you could lose your job. So, um, I mean, sadly, uh, that's what happens. So, what happens? Well, this is he uh, um, Shoemaker then continues, and he says, uh, uh, and he quotes actually uh, Lincoln in two thousand and seven about censorship. Who, about censorship, and Bruce Lincoln says this. He says, with the possible exceptions of economics, our religious studies in Islam is the only academic field that is effectively organized to protect its putative object of study against critical examination. Well, that's, that's, that's it right there. It is the only place I know any of any other study where you cannot say what you find or you cannot, you cannot publicly publish what you have researched. That's right. Well, I mean, I hope everyone is noticing how uh, interesting uh, this uh, video series is going to be and also how interesting many of these quotations that we are reading for you from this book. So what do you think we are going to uh, address or what are we going to focus on moving forward from here? Well, moving forward, I want to know where this this self-censorship came from. Where did this idea that we can't critically analyze, we can't use critical historical material on the Quran or, the, or on Muhammad or on the the place itself. Now, it's obviously that there must there this must have started from somewhere or someone. Shoemaker answers that question. He's going to go and he's actually put his finger on who that someone is. It actually started with one man uh, in the last century. But I'm not going to say who it is yet. You're going to have to see the episode because I agree with him. I, when I did my doctoral thesis, this came out. I did a, a whole half a chapter on this guy and others who said the main thing. But it was this one man that actually was the impetus that created this environment, which in some ways came out of necessity because of the reality that exists on the ground. Mm-hmm. And, but yet when he was talking, this reality didn't exist. Radical Islam hadn't really shown its face. We don't did have the Al-Qaeda's or the Boko Haram's or the Al-Shabaab's. We didn't have ISIS back then in the last century. So it's fascinating that he came up. We're gonna, I'm kind of getting ahead of the ball, but I want to show you this is something that's not recent. This is something that didn't just come by happenstance, and it didn't come by the situation, the reality that's happening that we have today, which is much more critical, which is much more dangerous. It happened in a time when there was an environment, a very benign environment, which is absolutely surprising. However, we do need to unpack it. We do need to go to this individual. We do need to see what he said, and we need to say how is it and why is it that that became such a hugely important uh, ethos of what then we're seeing represented right across the boards, not only in the United States, but in Europe, in fact, in almost all of our Western academic institutions. Amen. Thank you so much. And thank you, everyone, for tuning in. Hopefully, you will watch a continuation of this video series and you will enjoy the many uh, quotations and arguments and even uh, our own opinions in relationship to many of the contents that we will be addressing. Uh, with me here in studio, of course, to unpack all of that, not just today, but uh, continuing on with this series is our dear brother, Dr. J. Smith. Until next time, have a blessed day. Thank you for listening. We'll be right back after this message. You're listening to Let Us Reason with Al Fadi. 
We depend on the generous gifts of our supporters to produce this program. To join us in this work, go to patreon.com and search for CIRA International. That's C-I-R-A International. You can also donate through PayPal. Go to CIRAInternational.com to learn more. Your support will help us continue introducing Muslims to the gospel of Christ. Now, back to Let Us Reason. Dr. J., uh, you and I know that there is always this fear that we addressed last time, and there's also this tendency to deviate away from doing any critical or serious critical academic work when it comes to the Quran or Islam. Uh, why is this, and when did it begin? Well, in the last episode, we brought this whole problem that we have here in the West, and this is in the West. We're talking about Western scholarship, which is surprising in and of itself. Why have Western scholars censored themselves from doing a historical study of this book when they have done it with every other book, especially the Bible? In fact, the Bible has gone through enormous amount of critical analysis in on every level with every type of criticism. So why has that not been done to the Quran? And we said in the last episode, it's all due to one man. It comes down to one man. I mean, surprisingly, uh, to, you think, how could one man have this much control? Well, there's a lot of reasons for that. But who is this one man? We're going to talk about him now. And I think we, it's important that we do unpack him. I uh, referred to him in my doctoral three, uh, research. Shoemaker really highlights him. And that's why this book is so important, because finally we have a scholar who's admitting what no one else wanted to admit, who's actually saying we are a real, we have a real problem in our own academic uh entourage of academics, uh, we have a real problem because we can't, we cannot do what others can do. And it comes down to really this man from the last century in 1959 is when it all happened. And his name is Wilfred Cantrell Smith. And I doubt a whole lot of people know about that, by the way. Well, if you're an academic, you know who he is. Uh, he was, uh, he was a head of McGill University in Montreal. Uh, well, moved then very to, respected and prestigious university. Absolutely, and yeah. then he went to Harvard, even more respected. Went to the Harvard Divinity School, considered to be one of the top in the world, and maybe even the top, depending on who you're talking to, uh, in Boston. Uh, he was there from 1916 to 2000. I'm sorry, he was born in 1916 and lived till 2000. But he is the one that created this problem. And let me just uh, let me just quote him. In his book in 1959, he wrote this on page 59 about... Uh, about uh, critical work? No, not critical work, about how every scholar should deal with Islamic material. Right. He says this, for any statement about a given religious tradition to be valid... Now, notice he starts by making it very broad. Any religious tradition to be valid... It must be recognized as such and accepted by members of that religious community. In other words, Muslims. Yes, interestingly, he, this is only, he says any religious tradition, but it's only going to be Muslims that he applies this to. Continue. Therefore, in order to come to any valid understanding of the Quran, now he's not saying the Bible here. That's right. He starts off by saying any religious tradition, but now he's only referring to the Bible, the Quran. One must approach the text as a believing Muslim would and seek to understand it on this basis. All right, now, 
Do you see a problem with that statement? Yeah, so he is basically giving a cover to why he wants to say this about the Quran. He starts with this big umbrella, making it sound like he is open-minded about everything, you know, when it comes to that. And you need to be respectful of the religious community. But now he shows you what exactly he is focused on. So it's really only one book That's and right. one community that we must be respectful for. Correct. Here's what's interesting. So if you study a any religion, or if you study the Bible, or if you study Bhagavad Gita for the Hindus, if you study the Book of Mormons for the Mormons, if you study Charles Taze Russell for the Jehovah Witnesses, if you study any religious book, you have to let the that person from that community, first of all, agree with you. It has to be agreeable to them as the believer before it can be considered to be valid, is what he's saying. That's what you think he's saying. That's right. That's but the right. application within the same quote is only one book and one community, and that is the Quran and Muslims. Let me, let me push back. You know, if I were to listen to him, let's say he was saying this in front of me right now, I, wanted, I would have asked him, can you show me two Muslims who agree in the same thing? <laughs> Granted, there is a problem right there. But yeah. even the fact that he has to go run it by them. In my doctoral thesis, when I was uh, studying uh, uh, Wilfred Smith, I went and showed applications where any time he wrote an article or any time he wrote a chapter of a book that he was on, he would show it to his Muslim friend. And he said, would you accept what I'm saying here? And until he got a yes from this man, he would not publish it. So he's doing community testing on his own writing. That's right. Only that which the Muslim would allow him to say, uh, could he then publish, which means nothing critical. That's censorship right there. Right or that, but you can see there's nothing critical. You take critical analysis out of it. Exactly. It may be historical, but it's not critical historical. So can you see, it takes any critical analysis out of it because no Muslim, especially a Muslim, would allow you to be critical of their book, the matter, their place. So can you see, this became the dictum for all rel- all study there in United States. Now, he's went is in Harvard. Uh, he goes on and says this. Oh, this is what Shoemaker says. This is uh, on page four of this book. He says, Smith was able to direct the training and influence the methodological approach of many, if not the majority, of Islamists who held and continue to hold positions in religious studies departments in, United, in uh, North America. Now, an Islamicist is not an Islamist. Let's let before people get confused. An Islamist is somebody from within Islam who is an expert on Islam. An Islamicist is somebody from outside Islam who is an expert on Islam. So we are both Islamicists. Well, you're an Islamicist. I'm an Islamist. No, I am no a longer Muslim. because you're, long, you're no longer a Muslim. I am a former Muslim, and I know that faith inside out. I'm from an Islamist. At the area where. It's perceived to be the origin of that. By, by virtue of being an apostate, you're an Islamicist now. That's, now, that's almost all of our chairs, not all, but many of our chairs uh, in our institutions here in the West and in Europe are uh, chairs of departments are held by Islamicists. There are some Islamists, and uh, very few of them have a problem with this. The Islamicists should have a problem with what Cantwell Smith is saying here. But they don't. We don't hear publicly, at least. And this is why Shoemaker is having a problem. He's saying this is the dictum that has been used, that has been applied since 1959. Let's just say, say 1960. So for the last six, uh, so last uh, 60 years, this is what has been applied in all of our institutions in North America. 
mm-hmm. because of the fact he's from Harvard, the premier school, the uh, Harvard Divinity School, the premier school in the United States, that dictum then permeated right through all of our institutions, all of our academia. Academias. Now, there's another one that come, came behind him, and his name is Mircea Eliad. I don't know if I'm pronouncing his name correctly from the University of Chicago. He followed Smith's paradigm. Shoemaker says this of him in page five. In sharp contrast to the radically historical orientation of the traditional tradition established in Gottingen, which is in Germany, known as, I, I said in German, so permit, uh, forgive me my pronunciation, Religiengeschichte. Religion Geschichte in German, Eliad and Smith advocated a deliberate, a deliberately ahistorical approach to the study of religion that privileged above all the else individual personal experience. What basically unpack what he's saying here is that both these two, Eliad and Smith, stipulated that any history, any study of the Quran, of Muhammad, of Islam must be based from personal experience, from those from within the tradition. They must give their go. They must give their go-ahead. They must give their, uh, their, their uh, okay. They must give their uh, stamp of approval before you could publish or even or write an article. So um, to, to be honest with you, Dr. Smith, um, I don't see this as a scholarly work when you're asking the very community that you are researching their history in this case to approve or disapprove even your own findings i mean isn't scholarship is about discovering things absolutely and can you imagine if this dictum had been used on biblical studies can you imagine if this dictum was applied to Wellhausen or the school? It would have been vilified. You know, there had been they would been laughed out of court. Nobody would have allowed Christians to. That means anybody that's doing the documentary hypothesis or source criticism on who wrote the book of uh, the first five books of the Old Testament, you know, any any reference to whether Isaiah has two different authors, all this would have been thrown out of court because no, and they would have had to go to every seminary and found uh, a yeah. uh, even. Evangelical Christians who would have accepted that historical perspective. Yeah. This would never have been applied. So how can Smith so suddenly turn it on its head and nobody, nobody uh, criti- criticize him for that? How is it since 1959, nobody in academia has bothered to criticize him until Shoemaker did so? And this is why it's important that, we're, that Shoemaker is saying this. And that's why he starts his book with this. That's why this chapter has to come first to show where it all got wrong, and it happened with one man. Absolutely, and this is why I've always been skeptical of certain PhD dissertations, because I'm, I'm reading through some of them, that you would look at it and you read and you say, I don't see anything new in here. I mean, it's no knowledge. Uh, so what's the new discovery? Come to discover that, of course, the person is from a, an Islamic background usually, and the school where they're going to is an Orientalist school. And somehow, of course, the school doesn't want to be politically correct. They don't want to uh, look like they're critical. And they approve of dissertations like this and degrees where you really wasted years not pre- uh, presenting a single thing that is ground-breaking or shaken. Unfortunately, what would uh, what are we going to talk about next time? We're going to show how this permeated into the U.S. Defense Department, and then also came back and showed show how it was the actually Western Muslim scholars 
here in United States and in Europe who then ran with this. Amen. You've heard the man. Until next time, have a blessed day.